welcome to another episode of the sword and the spirit this is where we take a look at the issues of the day both in and out of the church via teaching and interviews my goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and action on the part of the listener my prayer is that those who have an ear to hear will hear what the spirit is saying to the churches amen welcome back we're going to continue on our theme of the church like i said none of what i'm doing here is exhaustive there's so much that there's no way i can cover it even in a lifetime if i wanted to but hopefully we'll get to some good points and like i said kind of get you started on your journey on doing some studies on your own and you'll be amazed at some of the wonderful things you're going to discover once you start taking some of this stuff up on your own. So just a quick recap concerning the church. Uh, The church is not a building. It's not brick and mortar. It's the people of God, the called out ones. And we have a perfect God who is sinless, all-powerful, and he's interacting with imperfect, sinful, and flawed human beings. And we are in becoming a caterpillar to becoming a butterfly. That's metaphorically speaking, of course. One of the ways God does this is through the church, how God grows us. And that's what we're going to be discussing today when I talk about the church as community. Why do I need to be part of a community? Why can't I just be saved, be spiritual, and not necessarily have to go to church or be part of a body of believers? Or, you know, a lot of people just want to just sort of be sort of a lone ranger Christian out there on their own and not really having to deal with the church. But there's a reason why God created the church, and God's, we have to trust God's wisdom. You know, it's human nature like me. I'm a natural loner. I can be by myself. It doesn't bother me at all, in the least. However, God has not called us to be alone. He said it was not good for the man to be alone when he created Adam and he created Eve. Companionship. We saw from the pandemic, we don't like to be locked down or kept away from our loved ones. Not cool. And that human beings are gregarious by nature. We we like to congregate. And with like-minded people. That's why you have groups on Facebook, etc. So, God now, one of the reasons why we need to be part of the church is because that's the means by which God takes us from caterpillar to butterfly, transforms us from sinner, caterpillar, to saint, butterfly. But it's the in-between process, the cocoon. And that's, that's the church. The church is the cocoon that wraps us up, that God wraps us up in, and that's where he works the process of transformation inside the cocoon. The caterpillar can't say, well, I don't want to go in the cocoon. I just want to be a butterfly. You're not going to get there. The process is you've got to go through the church. You've got to go through the cocoon. You've got to go through the church. It's in the context of the church that God refines us and transforms us and makes us more like his son. Uh, One of the ways God does this is through the church, 
Uh, now, a cocoon is closed. You don't see it. Uh, the growth is taking place on the inside. And that's the same thing with the church. We don't see the growth per se. I can't look at you and see your growth. You can't look at me and see my growth. Only you can see it in how I'm walking and changing only by interaction. But if you don't interact with me, I won't see it and you won't see it. But it's through our interaction with each other that God grows and, and matures us. And so this is one of the ways that we grow. So at face value, we don't see it. Um, but the Holy Spirit is at work. So we can see a lot of our imperfections. We see a lot of our faults, our weaknesses. And so we say, wow, you know, um, and we see our own sin. Yeah, I said it. Saints can sin. But thank God we have 1 John 1, 9, and 10. Amen. A little old school hymn there called The Glorious Church. I remember singing that as a, as a child in the church. Do you see them coming, brother, thronging up the steeps of light? Victorious army, blood-washed garments pure and white. It's a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb. And you read that and you say to yourself, when you look at the church now, you say, I don't see any glorious church here. And we definitely have spots and wrinkles, right? So what I want to call this segment is the end game. Because what that song is about is the end game. That's the finished product. We're still in the cocoon. That's the butterfly with the glorious church without spot or wrinkle. And do you see them coming, brother? And you get, you know, all, you know, nice and everything. That's just the end game. The glorious church without spot or wrinkle. But while we're here on earth, we are in a cocoon. We're being transformed into that glorious church. We're not there yet. But that's how God is making us. And notice now, we don't enter into heaven by ourselves with our own spirituality. When we go into heaven, when we go into the presence of God, let me just use that term better still, the presence of God. When we go into the presence of God, finally, that last day, when we, wherever God is and that's where we are, when you go into that presence, it's going to be awesome. And that's when we'll be the glorious church without spot or wrinkle. That's when we'll be able to march into heaven. Now, let's see how we get there. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter, when it talks about husbands, love your wives, wives, loves, love your husbands. A lot of people preach that and say this is how the relationship between a husband and wife should be. Which it is. That's what it is telling you. But that's not the point. The overarching point is that he's using the marriage relationship as a metaphor for Christ and the church. Okay? Because we know our marriages are far from perfect. But the only one that's really perfect is the relationship that God has. is on God's end. And here he says, starting at about verse... Oh, 525 Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church 
and gave himself up for her. Now, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church. Hear it, that he might sanctify her. So Christ sanctified us by loving us, right? And by giving himself up for her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word. So he cleansed us, gave himself up for us. And then he says, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. This is where that hymn comes from. It's based on this verse here. And I'm reading out of the uh, ESV. King James would said, glorious church without spot or wrinkle. But ESV says, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor or in, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That he and that she, the dead is the church, might be holy and without blemish. That's the end game, saints. That's where God wants to get us. Let me read that again. That Christ will sanctify her. That's the church. That's you and me. Those of us who have been saved and know Christ. And we are cleansed by the washing of water with the word. And God does this for us so that he can present us, you and me, the church. The church. He didn't say the individual. He's talking about the collective. This is one of the reasons why you got to be a member of the church, because he's going to present the collective, not the individual. He presents us as a collective group to himself in splendor. And when he, he this group, that's all of us, true believers, together, not separate, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Think about that for a moment. And the scripture just came to me when I was reading that in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. When he talks about the hall of fame of faith. Look what it says here. Because I want to get this riveted in your mind. We're not in this alone. We don't have the choice of not being part of the church. If you're saved, you're automatically in the church. Now, you may, you may not have joined the church proper. Like go down the street and say, I go to this church, or I go to that church, or I go to the other church. You may not have done that, but you are part of the church. And God expects you to interact with other parts of the body of Christ, with other believers. As irritating, yes, as irritating as that can be sometimes. Look what he says here. In uh, Hebrews 11, and he talks about all the people in the hall of faith. And he gives a quick rundown of the various individuals about who through faith, da 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 And he says this here, who through faith, I believe this is about verse, verse 11.33, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release. Here it is. So that they can rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were cut and sawn in half. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins and sheep goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated the Bible says, of whom 
the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive that what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, here it is, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You got that? Now, just look at what these guys did. They stopped the mouths of lions. They brought people back from the dead. They, God wrought all kinds of miracles by their hand. Some of them were destitute, afflicted, and tormented for the cause and laid down their lives, sawn in half, and murdered, etc., martyred for the faith. And the Bible says the people who were destitute, afflicted, and tormented and who suffered, the Bible says the world is not worthy to have people like that in them. The world's not worthy. That's God's assessment of the saints, of the church that suffered. Now, but isn't it interesting? They didn't receive the full promise. Why didn't they receive the full promise? That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So here's Don Reimer, who has not suffered. I haven't suffered any of these things. I haven't done any of these miraculous things either. So that doesn't put me in a really in the category with any of these people in here. I'm not even close to these folks. But yet, but yet, but yet, Jesus said he's at least in the kingdom of heaven. Look how God balances the books. It's not, a, it's not based on accomplishment. Look what he says here. That apart from us, you and me, they should not be made perfect. They're not going to come into their perfection, the fullness of transformation in Christ, until you and I get there. They're waiting for us. When I read that, it was hard for me to wrap my mind around that. I'm like, that's insane. They've gone through all of this. They've seen all these great miracles. And yet, the, the perfection is not there until we get there. Wow, that's some scary stuff, isn't it? When you think about it. And you see now in Second Peter 3.14, it says, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Since we're waiting for the new heavens and the new earth, you want to be found without spot and without blemish, waiting for God in peace. Wow, some awesome stuff, right? Uh now let's look at First Corinthians. First Corinthians thirteen verse twelve. First Corinthians thirteen verse twelve says this For now we see in a mirror dimly, or we see in a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been known. So right now, saints, we see through a glass darkly. We don't really get everything. So if you don't understand everything and things, you can't wrap your head around certain things, don't panic. It's all good. You're in good company. We always don't always quite get it. Segment on how God sanctifies us. Because, again, like I said, God has called us to be sanctified in the context of community, in the context of the church. So when God calls us to community, 
The call to community is a call to sanctification. It's a call to purification. And that's one of the means by which God cocoons us. And he puts us in the con, And he begins to go to work, to form us, to shape us, to perfect us. And he's not going to do it without you being part of the body of Christ. It doesn't work like that. And so will there be people who will annoy us? Yes, I know I'm being redundant, but I want to rivet this in your mind. If you go to church and you're looking for perfect people who will not annoy you, who you're not going to butt heads with, who you're not going to have conflicts with, who you're not going to disagree with, you're going to be disappointed because they're not perfect and neither are you. You're all in the cocoon together and God is forming all of you together at the same time and using each other to sanctify one another, to purify one another. I don't care. You can you can become a spiritual vagabond, what I call. Some people leave the church. I'm mad. I'm running down the street here to this church. I'm mad. I'm running down here to the street to this church. I don't care where you go. You can't run from yourself. Wherever you go, there you are. And yourself comes with you and all your own idiosyncrasies. And it's only a matter of time before there's a conflict. But don't freak out. That's okay. Because those conflicts, those Things are, if you're responding to it properly, now if you respond to it incorrectly, then it's not going to help you. And you can't control other people's response, but you have to respond correctly so that God works in you to make you where he wants you to be. So we're going to go through First John chapter 1. And we're going to talk a little bit about walking in the light and why that is one of the means through which God sanctifies us. So we'll start here in First John. And we will start at verse 1. First John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our two eyeballs, emphasis mine, with our two eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So the apostle here is saying, listen, we're not telling you something we didn't see. We're, we're eyewitnesses to this thing. We saw him, we touched him, we came in contact with him. And so we know what we're talking about when we try to tell you about the words of life. Now, the life was made known, and we have seen it. Now, this is a particular type of life. Because you see, a lot, there's a lot of human life, but there's not a lot of eternal life. And Christ represents eternal life. And by eternal, we mean a life that has always been here. See, I had a birth date. There was a time I wasn't here. And on my birthday, I was here. But prior to my birthday, I was not here. Okay? Other than in the mind of God. In that sense. But as far as me actually physically being in this world, I wasn't here. But Christ, so that's just human life. That's just, you know, it had a beginning and it has an end. Eternal life, which is who Christ is. Christ is eternal. He has a life that not only has no end, but has not had a beginning. It goes in both directions. It goes into eternity to the, to the right forever. And behind me is etern more eternity. The best way I, I can illustrate this, if you get a mirror, get put a mirror in front of you and put a mirror behind you, and you're standing in the middle. What you see in front of you is eternal eternity going forward, and what you see behind you is eternity going back. Where does the reflection stop? It just seems to go on forever, right? And that's the concept of, uh, best concept I can give you of understanding eternity and eternal life. Okay, so the life, that is the life that was Christ, was made known. 
We have seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. He's talking about Jesus, which was with the Father and was made manifest. So Christ was eternal life. He was with the Father and he was made known to us. That which we have seen and heard, now that eternal life, that what was made known to them, they're proclaiming it also to us, to you, that you too may have fellowship with us. Okay, here we go. Now it gets interesting. He proclaims life to us, the life of Christ, through proclamation, so that you and I can have fellowship with us. That word fellowship in the Greek means yoke, fellowship. It means that you and I are yoked together like a yoke of oxen. So we're being joined together. That means when I move, you move. When you're yoked together with, with two oxen, they have to move in the same direction. Otherwise, there's chafing, there's pain. And sometimes we're yoked together, we're in fellowship, and we're moving in different, and that's what causes the chafing and the friction. It's like, ah, oh, where are you going? That's the wrong direction. No, let's go this way. No, we need to do this. That's the chafing. But when we line ourselves up with eternal life, the yoke is Christ. He said, take upon you, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You take his yoke on you properly. Then we let Christ be the commander and he directs us where we want to go. And then, then there's no conflict. There's no chafing. We go to the, Christ says, go to the left. We both go to the left. He says, go to the right. We both go to the right. When we follow his instructions. So that you may have fellowship. So God desires fellowship with us. Now you're going to see why we need the fellowship. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son. Of course the Holy Spirit is here by implication because the Holy Spirit is the one who brings us the Father and the Son. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. If you want genuine joy, Psalm 1611 says, In God's presence is fullness of joy. At his right hands are, are pleasures forevermore. To be in fellowship with God is to be in a place of true joy. True joy. And I, let me just say this very quickly about joy. Joy is not just an emotion. Yes, it's an emotion, it's a feeling, but it's not the type of joy the world gives you. This is a different type of joy. And yes, it feels good, it's a, it's, a, it's a blessing from God, but joy is a stabilizing presence of God. So that when all the pressures of life are coming in on you to crush you, the, the life of God is, is sustaining you, is holding you, holding you together, and you're sustained by joy and by peace. But that's a whole other Bible study. Okay, I digress. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Now notice how he goes from proclaiming eternal life. Then he goes from eternal life and then he brings it down to, um, to fellowship. So from eternal life, we've gone to, from eternal life to fellowship. We want a fellowship with the eternal, with God. We're fellowshipping with him, right? Now, the one we're fellowshipping with is light, and in him is no darkness at all. That's important to remember, because you want to know who you're fellowshipping with, right? Now, darkness and light can't occupy the same time in the same space at exactly the same time. You know, um, when I'm driving my truck sometimes, 
and I'm on the highway and somebody's coming down the ramp and they're trying to challenge me for that space at the end of the ramp. And I looked at myself and I said, I wonder if this guy understands that two objects can't occupy the same time in the same space. Cannot occupy the same space at exactly the same, that's the word I'm looking for. Cannot occupy the same space at exactly the same time. Something's gotta give. And that's how it is with light and darkness. They can't occupy the same space. If I turn on the light, the darkness goes away. If I turn off the light, darkness returns. It's one or the other. It's on or off. So think of it as a switch. The switch is up, light on. The switch is down, light off. Let me make this clear. That's salvation. When you look at that type of a switch, I believe it's a toggle switch. That's salvation. Either you're saved or you're not. Either the light's on or it ain't. That's salvation. Now, let's go back here. So let's read on here a little bit. I don't want to get ahead of myself. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So because God is light, you also have to walk in the light. Walk in the light, beautiful light. Come where the dewdrops of mercy shine bright. Shine all around us by day and by night. Jesus, the light of the world. So if we walk in the light as he is in the light, okay, we have fellowship with one another. Now, look at, the, look at this, look at this, look at this. God is light, in him is no darkness. If we say we have fellowship with God, we, while we walk in darkness, we lie, and the truth is not in us. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, wait a minute. If I'm not perfect, and since God is perfect light, and I'm not perfect, how does that work? Okay, remember I just said a minute ago, the off and on switch, the toggle switch. Up, light on, light off. If you are saved, your switch is in the up position. That means your light is on. Now... There's another type of, 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 uh, of switch called an analog. You ever see those dimmer switches? Okay, now the light's on, but it's very dim. You can barely see it. And as you turn it to the right, it increases slowly and it gets brighter and brighter and brighter. That's us. Some people are at the zero marking. Some people are at the one marking. The light's on, but it's very dim. Other people in the church are at five. Some people are at six. Let's say 10 being perfect. Some people are at nine, nine and a half. We'll go to nine and a half since nobody can be perfect until Christ brings that final perfection to us. But let's just say for the sake of argument, some film saints are at nine and a half. So some are brighter, some are dimmer than others. Okay? But as long as you have light, even if you're at level one, even if your light is set to one, if you have any light at all, you have fellowship with God. But if you're in darkness, that is, if you're not saved, you can't have fellowship with God. Can God speak to you? Can God do things for you? Yes. But there's no fellowship, meaning there's no relationship. There's no yoking or connection to God. Until that light switch goes up and you're saved. Now, even though the light is dim, you're at, you're at one. We can barely see it, but the light's on. It's there. Now, in the context of the church, God is going to use the church to help you turn that light up so it gets brighter and brighter. And the brighter it is, the deeper your fellowship with God, the deeper and closer you go in with God. But you got to have it. But don't worry if it's dim. If it's dim, that's fine. It's a starting point. Just don't stay there.
Okay, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son cleanses us from all sin. So here's the thing now. Check this out. So we walk in the light as he is in the light and we have fellowship. Now, as we are having fellowship with one another, as we are having fellowship with one another, look at what happens. As we are having fellowship with one another, it says he cleanses us from all sin. So the cleansing is taking place in the context of fellowship. Fellowship, cleansing. Fellowship, cleansing. You want to grow in God. You want to become stronger in God. You want to get delivered from sin. It's in the context of genuine fellowship, first with the Father and the Son, and then fellowshipping together. Now, fellowshipping involves worship, right? When we come together, we worship as a body. Prayer, yes, we, we pray as a body. Praise, yes, we praise God as a body. But the fourth component that I think we miss is the fellowship. We don't think that we can help each other to grow a sanctify. I don't need you. I don't need you. Listen. But yet the very neighbor sitting next to you, when they say neighbor, turn to your neighbor. That neighbor sitting next to you, when you're in proper fellowship with one another. We cause each other to grow and to mature and get stronger. We draw strength from one another. Whether you're aware of it or not, that's what we are doing. Now look what it says here. Now if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So that means you're not walking in the light. You're telling a lie. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank God we have that. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. So you can't run around saying you don't sin. Okay? Now, I know you're going to tell me about the third chapter of 1 John, where it says he that is born of God does not, practice, does not sin. But that's the practice of sin, a lifestyle of sin. Now, we don't have a lifestyle. If you're saved, you don't, and you got a lifestyle of sin, then maybe you need to check your salvation a little bit. If that's your lifestyle, you're still in that, in, you know, as my kids like to tell me, you ain't about that life, you know. Because I'll say to them, well, I don't drink. They say, yeah, Dad, that's because you're not about that life. Or you don't do this. And I was like, because you ain't about that life. So, again, if you're saved, you ain't about that life, the sinning life. You're about the godly life. But do you sin? Of course, because we're still growing and mature. But we just ain't, you know, living that particular type of lifestyle. Or as I like to call it, a death style. So this is the process of walking in the light and community. Key words here, fellowship. Fellowship. The Father and with the Son. Now, if you lack joy, if you lack joy, because it says if you're in fellowship with God, you have joy, right? And if you lack joy, then re-examine well, who, who your fellowship is with. Because if your fellowship is with the Father and Son, you should have some joy. All right, now, as Christians and as believers, we're fellowshipping in the body 
And that's one of the ways that God helps us to grow and to mature. When we obey God's words, when we obey God's words, God imparts or casts or helps us to grow in him. And so that dispels the darkness when you take in the word of God. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The more we mature and we grow in God, we get that maturation and we begin to grow. And the sin begins to dissolve and fall away. When we walk in the light, saints, God uses light to dispel the dark corners of our heart. It's a work of God. Via fellowship, that is spending time with him, prayer, praise, worship, and community, that is with other believers, a.k.a. the church. Now, what does it mean to walk in the light? To walk in the light, we have to be transparent with one another. We have to keep it real, keep it 100. Tell the truth. Shame the devil, as they say. Now, one of the conundrums of the church, particularly the Pentecostal church, one of the conundrums of the Pentecostal church is that, in every church, actually it's not just Pentecostal church, I take that back, it's in every church. We can't condone sin. We can't condone a brother or sister living a lifestyle of sin or falling into sin. Generally, we, 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 we're hard on scandalous sins, you know, adultery, fornication. That's the, that's the first thing that pops into everybody's mind when they say sin. But it can be lying, it could be stealing, um, it could be a lot of other things. Um, and there's a lot of sins that we don't see, like gluttony. You know, it can be overeating, um, which is a sin. It can be uh, anger, which you may or may not see. The guy may be angry at home, but you don't see it in the church. You come to church, everybody's pristine and clean, right? But in the meantime, he's home using his wife as a punching bag, or she's using him as a punching bag, or whatever. Verbal abuse, etc. So there's a lot of things, sins there. You want to be transparent. And maybe you need to sit down with, with, in a church and you're sitting in a men's fellowship and a guy may want to say, you know, I'm dealing with porn. But he, he's scared because if you say I'm dealing with porn, then everybody's going to start to back away from looking at him kind of funny. Like, you know, tell your wife, Look, don't sit next to that guy. Something wrong with him. You know, and then we we tend to. The relationship tends to change. All of a sudden, people are kind of standoffish, you know. Like, mm, I didn't really want to deal with this guy, you know. Or you've got this ultra-spiritual people who start to look down at you and start to judge you and condemn you. And the, then you got the total answer people that want to just say, oh, you need to do, just repent, brother. Just give it to God. Go to the altar. And everybody's got a quick quick answer for you. How are you supposed to deal with this? Um. And so that's the conundrum. So people in the church don't want to commit, don't want to admit to sin, particularly scandalous sins such as the one I just mentioned. But at the same time, God calls us to be transparent. So how can I be transparent? We have to, how can I be transparent at the same time? I don't want to be looked down on either or judged unfairly or treated in a different manner simply because I'm battling whatever. Because truth be told, everybody in there is battling with something. It's just that, what yours is but you don't know what ours is but if we're all honest then that would eliminate a lot of that right if everybody just told the truth where they were at then nobody be able to, should be able to look down on the other one so 
the, the, the trick of a pastor is to, pre- is to create an environment of transparency where people can say where they're at and at the same time, at the same time, not have the fear of being unfairly judged. So I'm not exactly sure what that looks like, but that's something to think and to pray about. But to walk in the light, we do have to be transparent. And if we can't be transparent with the entire church, God has asked God to give you somebody with whom who's mature, who will not agree with everything you say, and who can help you work through some of those issues in your life. And even pastors have to have somebody to go to. Now, I'm not a pastor of a church, but if I were, I would not ordain anybody unless they went to therapy to get some of their issues dealt with. Because so much, so many preachers fall because they have hidden issues from childhood or whatever that they haven't dealt with and they need deliverance. And yes, we can pray for deliverance. We can do all of that. Uh, but you, but therapy is also one of the other means uh, that can be used. Science is a gift from God, saints. It's, don't be anti-science. God gives people knowledge to do things, to make vaccines, etc., etc., uh, to help humanity. So don't see it as a horrible thing. Okay, so again, but we want to be transparent. So you need somebody in the body of Christ that you can sit down, bear your soul to, with no fear of them putting you on blast or on eyewitness news or making you the top story on the evening news. And at the same time, they're mature enough to hear what you're saying and then help you. Now, pastors talk to each other, have to find other pastors that they can share with, etc. But no matter what level you are on, there's going to be something there. And so you want to be able to have someone with whom you can share some of those things with to become transparent uh, and open and honest. Life has to become an open book. 1 Corinthians 3.2 says that we are epistles on the heart of the epistles. People are watching us and they want to see and read our lives. The reason why people say there's hypocrites in the church, one reason is because we raise the bar so high and we give the impression from the pulpit, preachers, we're guilty of this. We give the impression that somehow we're walking in some sort of supernatural level of spirituality that we have no no problems and no hang-ups and then when people see us fall or see other saints fall then they're like oh he's a hypocrite where had you just lowered your expectations and stop telling people you're, you're trying to give people the impression you're so super duperty that you're not there yet and let the sinner know and let people know listen this is a, the church is a, is like a hospital. We're we're still in, in in recovery here. We're not we're not free just yet, from totally free from sin per se. Okay, now, I know this flies in the face of some theology, but uh, my experience tells me different. I've done the whole I don't sin thing, and I've been through all of that, you know, and you know, and I just ended up condemning myself because I couldn't do what everybody else was doing and then I realized years later I found that everybody else was doing the things that I thought they weren't doing and actually I was in some ways doing better than they were but um, so yeah people sin saints sin true fellowship with God takes place in the light we need to become transparent with one another we need to be real with one another. 
But speaking the truth in love, I'm not saying just blasting people. You got to speak the truth, but you can only speak the truth to each other if it's done in love. Done in love. And as a result of that, sanctification, growth, and maturity, and bondages will be broken. And you say you got any scripture for that? Yes, I do. Let's go to the book of James. Book of James. Chapter 5. James chapter 5. Is it? Verse 15 and 16. Uh, 12. 11. Okay. I'm going to start at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Alright? Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And look what he says. And if he has committed any sins... He will be forgiven. Sometimes sickness is due to sin. Okay, so please don't run around and say, you got COVID-19, therefore you must have sinned. Because that's not necessarily the case. But it can be. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, now look what he says. Therefore, therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Look at the connection between healing and confession of sin. Healing and confession of sin. To one another, then you pray that you can be healed. The sanctifying process of God takes place when we confess our sins to God, yes, but there are certain times when we have to confess our sins to one another. And once you do that, we don't condemn him. We don't read him out of the church. We don't bring him in front of the church and tell everybody how horrible he is or she is. And we don't put him out the door. We don't make them sit in the back for the backsliders bench. We don't do any of that stuff. It tells you when the brother or sister confesses sin, it says, pray. For that individual, and you're praying so that God will heal them, not condemn them. Don't put them in hell. Don't ostracize them. Don't cut them off. You know, I love it when people, they read the, you know, when Jesus talks about if your brother sin against you, go and get somebody and then come back. And then you, you go and get the church. You're then eventually, if that doesn't resolve it, you bring him before the church. And then once you bring him before the church, then all of a sudden... And when you bring him before the church, the next phase is Jesus said, well, then let him be as a heathen or a sinner to you. Now, we think that means cut him off. We ain't talking to him no more. That's not what that means. How do you treat the, law, the man who is lost? You continually show them the love of God. Now, yes, you don't have fellowship with him like you would with a saint. But you always continue to show that brother or sister who has fallen. Show them the love of God. You must have compassion upon them. We don't condemn. 
That's not what Jesus was saying. When we see the sinner and we want to reach them, we, we continue to show them the love of God, show them what Christ is like. That's what brings the repentance. When the prodigal son returned, the father didn't say, listen, man, you messed up. Oh, my God, you know, you're horrible. Yeah, you know, he didn't, the father didn't do that. The father said he, and he saw him afar off. Before he even got there, he ran to him, meaning he was looking for him. Running to him meaning he was happy to see him. And when he got there, he said, listen, put the, put the, put the shoes on his feet because slaves are barefoot in that time period. So he said, put the shoes on his feet because you're not a slave. He said, put the, put the robe on him. Give him the ring, meaning sonship. This is my son. And all he cared about was my son was dead. He's alive. He was lost. And now he's found. And he threw him a great big party with the fatty calf. And he just rejoiced that his son came home. That's how we're supposed to be. The, just like that father waiting for that individual to return. But there's no condemnation. You don't want to be like the brother who sat in there all bitter. Well, they never. I've been here all this time. You did nothing for me. That's not what we're supposed to do. What we're supposed to do is be like the father, not the, not the, 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 the other brother who condemned him. Okay, so that's how we're supposed to do. So we pray for one another. When a person confesses something to you, please just pray for the healing and leave it at that. Let it stay right there. God don't want you to do anything else. Don't condemn, don't, don't evaluate, don't determine what should happen to him next or her. Not your, not your concern. God wants to develop us in a community of love. It's supposed to be a community of love. God develops us in a community of love. Let's look at, uh, and we're almost done here. Hang in there. Let's look at James again. Let's stay in James since we're already there. James chapter 2, verse 15. James chapter 2, verse 15, 13, 14. Oh, sorry about verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So faith by itself does not have, if it does not have works, is dead. So saints, how are you showing the love of God to somebody if you just tell them be warmed and be filled, and then that's it? When you have the means to give that person food or to give that person what they need. First John three eighteen. Just two more points here, and then we're done with this segment, and there will be a part three this because as you can see it takes a while and I just and even with all this I'm not even exhausting it. Uh first John three eighteen and again I just hope I whetting your appetite here so that you can begin to dig into the word uh into the word of God. Okay. Let me start at verse fifteen. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So pretty much he's saying you, if you don't have eternal life abiding in you because you have hate, then you, if you're hating somebody, you need to check your salvation. That's what you really need to do. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. What? 
I got to lay down my life for them, for her, him. Yeah, that's what it says. He down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We have to love in the way we treat each other, and we have to love in truth. In other words, don't tell me you love me and you don't love me. Don't pretend. Remember the transparency again. Now, you got to get now. So you may not be there yet. Your light's down at one. See, the love isn't there. Light, your love is at one. That's okay. That's okay. It, give it some time. It'll get up there. But we have to love indeed how we treat one another. And we have to love, right, for real. So when I, when I say I love you, I really love you. I'm really concerned about what happens to you. If we spend as much time praying for one another as the church has prayed for Donald Trump, man, we'd be a powerhouse. Okay, I'm, that's as, as far as I'll go with that. All right. In closing, let me go to another segment. In this final segment, I want to talk about a book I read years ago. I had a, we had a guy come to when I was in Bible college, came to us. I believe his name was Malcolm McGregor. And he talked about body resources. And that thing stuck with me the rest of my life. I have to this day, I remember it so clear. And I always said, you know, again, you know, thinking of that time, I said, man, if I ever have a church, that's what I'm going to do. It's called body resources that everybody in the church, everything, practically everything that, that, uh, that we need is in the church. One of the ways we can show love to one another. And, and, and again, this is just a, a it's going to look different in every church. So I'm not saying you have to do it this way, but pick up the concept. You have a, a blessing room. When I worked at Pivot Ministries, we had a blessing room, a room where, you know, People would donate suits and stuff and clothes and shoes for the guys. And so guys coming off the street who didn't have, you know, church clothes would have church clothes. And these guys had some nice, I'm, I'm talking good stuff. I don't talk about no junk. You know, cleaning out my closet, here's leftovers. I'm talking stuff people went to the store and bought and put in there. So the way Malcolm McGregor put it, he said, let's say you're in Kmart or Walmart. And you know, at that time, they had blue light specials or whatever it was that comes on. You know, that don't, I don't see them doing that anymore. Shopping has changed now. Um, but back in the 70s, that's what they had. So the light would come on and they said, okay, we've got 10 packs of diapers over here, Pampers. Normally, you know, Pampers can be expensive, but we've got them over here. You can get 10 for $5. Well, I don't have any small kids. I'm in my 60s. My kids are grown. I don't have any, but there's somebody in the church who does. So even though I don't need the Pampers, I go over there and I buy them because they're on sale. Or I caught the sale, and then I store. We have a we have a we have a storage room or what I call a blessing room in the in the in the, in the basement of the church. If the church has a basement or whatever, and we store things that saints have bought on sale, good stuff, right out the store. And you put it down in that church basement or whatever. 
Because sooner or later, somebody's going to get pregnant and need pampers. And the church will be able to give them some pampers to, you know, get them, get them. Here's your starter kit. And to help them out, help a young couple out who may be struggling financially and to get them the pampers that they need, etc. We can put clothes, suits, jackets, shoes, sneakers, nice things. And this is for the church. We're not talking about the outside right now. Let's just say we're going to keep it in-house from the, in the beginning. Maybe if it gets too large, then you can open it up to the community. So that nobody in the church should be lacking for basic things that they need. Toothpaste, toothbrushes, whatever, you know, basic stuff. Um, and there are people can come and go. Now, I know people are going to have, some people have to swallow their pride. You know, they don't have, you, you know, you want to go down and get it or whatever. Um, but that can be a what is called body resources. The concept is body resources that... Nobody should be lacking anything in the church. If somebody needs something, there's somebody in the church that has what what they need. You know, I look around. I'm constantly trying to keep my ears and eyes open for people in the church and their needs. You know, um, if they're single mothers, you know, maybe it's a one one income home. You know, then you might want, and you're able to give that person a Holy Ghost handshake every now and then. And by Holy Ghost handshake, I mean, you know. A handshake with some money in it that's going to pass from your hand to that individual's hand. Um, you know, uh, sometimes a kid, you see you see a kid doing something right, and you want to reward him for it. You know, if it's okay with his parents, hey, can I give him $5, $10, $20, and explain to him, listen, you did a good job over here. And so that teaches the kid you're being rewarded for doing good things. We're not going to reward you for doing bad things. If you do good things, there, there are rewards for that. Um, so... These are some of the things that you can do in a church to show the love of God to one another and to and to other believers. You know, so you want to be able to uh, to do that. I remember one time we got gift certificates on my job for turkeys. Well, a lot of guys always said, "Man, I already got a turkey," and I, my wife and I had already bought our turkey for for the holidays. And I and I remember there was somebody in the church that had you know substantial amount of children, and I thought, ah. Oh, let me just give them this this here, my my certificate. I'm a, so I mentioned it to the guys. I wasn't re, we were just talking. I said I think I'm gonna find somebody that you know that doesn't have a turkey and I'll give it to them. Well, that's what. So then for whatever reason they got convicted. They all gave me their gift certificate and said, "Listen, man, you go down to your church and you give out your these gift certificates for anybody who wants to go shopping for turkey." And I was able to give them out in in the church and also some people in the community. Um. Uh, these are what I'm talking about, showing the love of God, how we treat one another. Because charity begins at home. If we learn how to love one another like that, then hopefully that will then spill out into the world. Because we are representat representations of Christ and we just show the world what Jesus is like. Now, Father God, I thank you for this time. Pray for this podcast, Lord, that it will help somebody and be a blessing for somebody to grow and mature in God. And that whoever has an ear to hear will hear what your spirit is saying. In Jesus' name, amen.